You are listening to the Financial Clarity for Doctors podcast by Finity Group, LLC, where we discuss the pertinent financial planning topics facing physicians and other medical professionals. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research, Inc., a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA, SIPC. And now, here are your hosts, Rochelle Vanderzanden and Corey Janoff. Welcome back to Financial Clarity for Doctors, everyone. This is Rochelle Vanderzanden here with Corey. Hello. <laughs> Um, we are going to talk today about what to do with extra money you have lying around if you have extra money lying around. So we do have, I feel like at least I have a lot of clients right now that are kind of sitting on cash and it might be like they want to buy a house or something like that and they feel like it's not a good time. So they're waiting, they're saving up money for a larger down payment, and they just know that they're probably going to have this money sitting around for a year or two years. And realistically, like if we're in a pretty stable financial situation, everyone's sitting on at least a little bit of money, you know, like you've got that cushion for emergencies and things like that. So that makes sense. We want to make sure that we have a cushion. We want to make sure we're saving proactively for our short-term goals and things like that. It can sometimes be unproductive to sit on too much money, but if there is a good reason to hold on with that to that it's kind of like what should we do with it like people don't want to just let it sit in their checking account like they want to be feeling like they're doing something that's better with that money so today we're going to spend a little bit of time chatting about you know good reasons to be holding on to cash um maybe less good reasons to be holding on to cash and maybe considering doing something else with that cash. But also then, you know, assuming it is a good thing to be doing, where should you be putting it? You know, what's a good vehicle to use for those short-term savings dollars? Take it away, Corey. There we go. So good reasons to hold on to money. Um, you know, obviously emergencies. You know, I think the the default recommendations you'll see out there are three to six months of your expenses set aside for emergencies, you know, but go with whatever you're comfortable with, whatever makes you sleep well at night. If you need six months, if you need nine months, if you're good with four months, you know, it doesn't really matter. Just go with uh, probably minimum three, uh, maybe maximum 12 months, unless we got, you know, some unique circumstance. But, um, but yeah, emergency reserves, everyone should have some cash for that. And then, like Rochelle mentioned, if we're planning for a major expense in the next handful of years, so I would say less than five years, if you know you're going to need that money, whether it's for a home down payment, uh, a, you know, a major home repairs, a big vacation, maybe you're taking a sabbatical, um, you know, got to send our kids to college, you want to buy Rochelle and I a nice birthday present, whatever it is. Um, if it's, you know, in the next few years, we, we probably shouldn't invest that money in your traditional investments because investments can go down in value and sometimes take a handful of years to recover. So you potentially, if you invested money now, you know, three years from now, it, it might be less than what you started with today when you invested it. So, you know, try and stay away from the stock market, even bonds probably, um, you know, we'll, we'll talk, there's certain types that might make sense, but, um, but anything that can go down in value or tough to get your money out of real estate, you know, just you know, stay away from that if you need the money in the next handful of years. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe, again, endless reasons why one might want cash. Maybe your income is variable, so you like to have some extra cash on hand, even though you don't really need it in the short term, but just in case. So, but whatever the case may be, um, you know, if you have a valid reason for it, we can totally support that. Now, 
what are some reasons why you probably shouldn't just hold on to cash, Rochelle? Yeah, I know. It's so hard to talk about this because really it's like never bad to have money in the bank. Like that that's a good thing. That means you're spending less than you're making, all of that kind of stuff. But I do think that it's not always the most productive thing to do with your money. So if you're not saving for a short-term expense, if you have plenty for emergencies and then some, and really you just have extra money laying around, like we don't want to be hanging on to that just because we're kind of afraid of doing anything else. Like hopefully that's not the reason that you're doing that. If we think about being fearful of investing, it can make sense. Like investing is volatile, but there are other risks long term that you shouldn't ignore either. So like if we're not investing and you're just holding on to money in a bank account or something like that, like then you're working against inflation and inflation is a big risk for your long term money. So ideally, we can do something more productive with any money that really is truly extra so that, you know, we're working towards long term goals, too. I think another reason that people sometimes hold on to money is they have this this like aversion or like this fear that they're going to run out of money at some point. And, and sometimes it has to do with like something that's happened in the past, maybe not having a ton of money during training or not having a ton of money as a kid. But dependent on your salary, like you may be in a much more comfortable position now. And sometimes it just takes people a while to get used to that. And so they end up building up cash and cash and cash and cash for, for no particular reason, but just because it makes them feel more comfortable to have a bunch of cash. And like Corey said, like we want you to have adequate emergency reserves, whatever that means to you. But don't let it just to continue to build beyond that. Like find a number when you have that amount, anything above that is extra if you're not saving for something specific. I think the other people that money or like people often hold on to money is just because they don't know what else to do with it. They just, it's just kind of a default. Like I'm making significantly more than I was before. I'm not used to making this much money. So I'm not using, I'm not used to making decisions about what to do with my money. You know, I just had enough to pay the bills before and now I have all this extra and I don't know what to do. So that's another not great reason. And like eventually you got to figure it out, like figure out something to do with your money. But there are lots of situations where it makes sense to hold on to cash. So I think the majority of the time today, we're going to spend talking about like, what do you do with it? And maybe maybe it's not cash, but we're using cash as like a shorthand for anything that you need for, for short-term money at this point. Um, so lots of places you can potentially put those savings dollars, your emergency reserves, and your like short-term savings money. The easiest one, Corey? Yeah. So, you know, obviously if you have extra money, we could invest it or pay down debt or spend it, but we're assuming you don't want to do any of those things. Um, so for short-term money, probably the most straightforward one that we recommend to everybody, um, where there's very few things that we recommend to everybody, but this is one of them, and that's a high-interest savings account. So, you know, most of the major brick-and-mortar banks out there don't give you much in the form of interest. You know, still use your, your normal bank for you know, your regular bills and purchases, you have ATMs on every street corner in most major cities, but um, beyond just your day-to-day -day purchases, keep the bulk of your savings in a high interest savings account. Um, and, and high interest is a relative term, but right now you're looking at about three to 4%, uh, which is about three to 4% more than a typical bank checking account will pay you. Um, most of the, the common ones are online banks. They don't really have a, a, a brick and mortar location some have a few branches around the country but but most of them is just strictly online 
feel free to just Google high interest savings. You'll find plenty of options out there. Run them by us if you have questions. But basically what you want to look for is um, you know make sure it's FDIC insured. So any legitimate bank will be FDIC insured, which means the government will insure your balance up to $250,000 per account registration. So like you could own an account in your name, your partner could own one in their name, you could have a joint account as well. That's three separate registrations there. Obviously if you have, you know, 250 at multiple banks, you know, each separate bank has their own FDIC insurance. Um, so, uh, you know, very safe obviously if the bank goes out of business, you know, that's not good, but it's FDIC insured. So the government's going to insure you up to 250,000. So, you know, pretty low risk there. Um, you get, you know, your, your same interest rate on all your balances. Now that three to 4% I mentioned, you know, this is as of late February that could change by the time you hear this. Um, it's variable. It's going to fluctuate up and down with the overall interest rate environment in our economy. Um, but ideally we get that same interest rate regardless of the balance, whether you have a dollar or a million dollars, they're going to give you that same interest rate. There's some banks out there where they'll give you a higher interest rate on say the first 25,000, but then after that it drops off. Um, you know, so ideally we're getting that, that attractive interest rate on all the money that we put in there. And then preferably there's no fees, no minimum balances, no transaction costs. So like you can move money to your regular checking account as needed without any, uh, you know, hurdles or costs associated with that. Um, you know, most of them have, have phone apps like the bank I use. Yeah, I have an app on my phone. I can transfer money back and forth to my regular checking account with a couple clicks of my finger. Um, you know, piece of cake and uh, very convenient. I think most of these savings accounts, they'll limit your transfers to six per month. But I mean, who needs to move money from their savings to checking six times or more per month? It's, you know, maybe you're transferring it once or twice a month at most. Um, so yeah, shouldn't be a, an issue there. And that's just a fantastic spot for your emergency fund and any other short-term savings where you, you might need that money soon and you can get a little bit of interest on it to try and keep pace with inflation with those dollars. Absolutely. It's really liquid. I think that's the, I mean, those are the two best things about it. It's really liquid. You can earn some interest, period. It's great. If you do have money in one of those savings accounts and then in your checking account, just keep in mind that it's going to take a couple of days to process transfers. So always make sure you have enough in your checking account, for sure. Um, I think another related kind of banking product is like certificates of deposits or CDs. We have clients ask about these quite a bit too. Um, they're, I mean, they can be really attracted for when you have a savings goal in a specific time frame. So let's say I would like to buy a house. I know it's not going to happen in the next year. I do think it's going to happen between like one and two years from now. So it could be attractive to do like a 12-month CD. The benefit is that you get a higher yield. So one bank I was looking at before this this call it has a 3.75% yield on the savings rate and then a 4.5% yield on a 12-month CD. So you get a little bit more interest. I think that what you're getting for that, like that little bit of additional interest is maybe not worth giving up the liquidity, but it really does depend on your goals. Maybe for you it is worthwhile. Maybe you know you're not going to need that money for the next year or so. It, not appropriate for your emergency reserves because 
Like if you end up taking money out of it, you lose all the interest you earned and it was like not even worthwhile to have it in there in the first place. Um, And I think the other thing is that when you buy a certificate of deposit, generally the yield is fixed, whereas the yield on the savings accounts is variable. So if interest rates went up, like it's possible that you could have a higher yield on the savings account than your fixed rate CD at that point. And I don't know that that will necessarily happen, but you know, just keep in mind that they're two very different products and can be used for different uses. Um, I, I like liquidity personally. I think that if we're going to buy a CD, like obviously, hopefully you're getting a good chunk more yield for that to be worthwhile. Like, I don't know if there's like a line in the sand for you, Corey, but I think I would want quite a bit more in order to just commit to that. Yeah, I think some of it just depends on your prediction of the future, which we know is very hard (laughs) to do. But if you're of the mindset that you think interest rates are going to flatten or potentially even come down over the next year, locking in that 12-month CD at 4.75% or 4.5%, which is you know three-quarters of a percent higher than the bank savings has given you, if you think that that bank savings is at its peak or might even come down, yeah, that CD is pretty appealing. But if you're of the belief that the Fed's going to keep raising interest rates and interest rates in the economy are going to keep rising, inflation's going to be persistent, well, maybe you know going with that variable rate bank savings account that will you know, there's going to be a little bit of a lag, but if interest rates and the economy keep going up, the bank savings will will ultimately follow. Um, so, you know, you might want to stick with the savings account in that scenario. No right or wrong. It's a guess. And, you know, flip a coin, see what you see, what the answer is going to be. Um, you know, we don't have a, a crystal ball, so we can't tell you. But uh, but yeah, I think that's probably the deciding factor if you think you know, what direction do you think interest rates are going? And uh, if you know, tell us. It's kind of interesting because you can tell what the banks think by looking at the yields on their CDs. So when I was looking today, the yield on the 12-month was higher than the savings account. The 18-month was a little bit higher than that. But then the 24-month CD was actually a lower yield than the savings account even. So it's obvious that the bank thinks, okay, interest rates aren't gonna stay this high forever. They're gonna come back down eventually. So we don't wanna lock this yield in for two years and then have to pay that out if interest rates are lower at that point. But the bank doesn't really know either. You know, it's every it's anyone's best guess at this point. Yeah, it's just some people working at the bank that are taking a guess. They, they know, maybe they know a little bit more than you or I, but I mean, they could be wrong. Um, let's see, another one, I-bonds. We've mentioned these before, you know, government series I savings bonds. Uh, they've gained a lot of popularity over the last couple years as inflation has has jumped and uh, therefore interest rates have jumped. And I-bonds have been around for a long time, but you know, no one really paid them much attention in the last 15 years because they weren't you know, that high interest. Right now, I believe they're paying just under 7%. Um, every six months, that interest rate will adjust, and they, they do it once in the spring, once in the fall, but whenever you buy the bond, you're locked in for that six-month period, and then six months after, you'll go to the current rate, and then again, six months after, so it'll go up and down. Uh, but they're designed by the government to provide a net positive return for investors after inflation. So really, no matter what, after you factor inflation in, you should be seeing growth on your money. 
as a result. So they're pretty attractive. Uh, you, you can't really get a, I mean, it's all but guaranteed. It's the U.S. government. They can print money to pay you back if they need to. So, um, I mean, I guess if they default on their debt, you won't get your money back, but that's a, a pretty darn low risk. Um, so, you know, they, they, as a result, they limit how much you can buy. Currently, you can buy a maximum of $10,000 worth per person per year. Um, but yeah, pretty attractive spot for your, for your extra cash getting the, you know, almost guaranteed 7% interest rate on your money, hard to beat anywhere else. Um, so pretty appealing. Now there are a few catches. You have to hold on to these for a minimum of 12 months. You can't liquidate them before that point is up. So it has to be money, you know, you don't need in the next year. And then if you were to liquidate them Within five years of purchasing, you give up the final three months of interest that you earned. Still a pretty good deal, in my opinion. You know, your 7% rate turns into about a 5% rate or 5.5. Um, you know, if you if you liquidate it before the five-year mark, still better than any other, you know, fixed interest product out there. So, um, you know, that's, a, you know, something I'd be willing to, to, to deal with if I needed the money before the five-year mark. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, that's, that's a nice, uh, supplement to your, your short-term savings with money that you don't necessarily want to invest or part ways with, but you know, you don't need in the next 12 months, you can get a little bit more interest on your cash with I bonds. Mm -hmm. I think the relative benefit of those has gone down just because like savings rates or savings account rates have increased. And the yield on the I-bonds has decreased. And I think there's going to get a point where it just doesn't make sense anymore necessarily. Um, right now, I think it's it's still attractive. But it, it all depends on if you're willing to give up that liquidity. Because even with a CD, you can sell out of the CD if you want to, even if you haven't satisfied the full term and there's just some penalties. With I-bonds, like, it's not like that. You can't have that money back until 12 months. Like, it's it's gone. It's, like, practically not your money anymore for a certain amount of time. Um, but, yeah, I think, you know, if it's worth it to you to get a little extra yield on $10,000, go for it. I think for some people, it's also just, like, that's a lot of hassle for a couple of extra percentage points on $10,000 over one year. And so, yeah, I think it all depends on the person too. Like some people are willing to jump through all the hoops to get that and other people not so much. Yeah. Um, you got to buy them directly from the U.S. Treasury. So you'd have to create an account with the Treasury website, which isn't hard, but, you know, it's another account that you have to have and remember a password for. And and I've, I've heard some horror stories of people who've forgotten their passwords and get locked out because it's the government and it's hard to get reset <laughs> and you have to like call and talk to someone. Uh, oh but, no. But, uh, but I mean, it's still, no matter what, they're, they're probably always going to offer a higher interest rate than your, your high interest savings accounts. That spread, like Rochelle was saying, may not be quite as great as it was a year ago. Um, when, you know, you were getting almost 9% or something on your I bonds and 1% on your savings accounts. Now that spread is less. But even when interest rates were zero and your high interest savings were paying 1%, I-bonds were paying 3.5%. So it's it's still going to be better than your typical bank savings. But yeah, is it worth it to you? That's, you know, personal decision. Absolutely. Um, another kind of like U.S. government investment is like short-term treasury bills or T-bills. 
So they vary in duration. So you can pick one that's only four weeks. You can pick one that's two years and the yield will be different depending on what you pick. Very similar to like the CDs. Like your 12-month CD has a different yield than your 18-month CD or your 24-month CD. Um, the six-month T-bill right now is currently yielding just over 5%, which is great. You know, that's, that's a great yield. Um, just as an example, like when you purchase bonds like this, you buy it, it like they're $1,000. At the end of the term, you get your $1,000 back plus the interest that you were um, promised, I guess. And this is the very similar thing to the I-bonds also where it's not guaranteed, but it is backed by the full faith and credit of the U.S. government, which means unless the U.S. government starts defaulting on their debt, you will get your money back. Um, and I know, Corey, you're talking a little bit about like, that's that's fine. It's like not going to happen. There's been a lot of like bad news and press about is the U.S. government going to default on their debt and things like that. And I think it's important to know that like drama in Congress does not automatically mean that you don't get your bond money back. <laughs> so I, I think that there would have to be a lot of things that went wrong beyond drama in Congress and not being able to pass a budget and raise the debt ceiling and things like that before something like that happened. So still very safe products, relatively speaking. Yeah, I mean, this isn't the first time, it won't be the last time that we're up against the debt ceiling and Congress is making a big deal out of it and both sides are fighting and demanding for ridiculous things. But, I mean, the whole country is going to be picketing outside of Congress if they don't come to some agreement at the 12th hour or whatever, the final hour on the last day that they have. So they'll I'm I'm confident they'll get something figured out and the US government won't default on its debt or if they do default it'll only be for a week and you will get your money back but that's just my opinion I don't have a crystal ball <laughs> politics <laughs> yeah not my favorite um anyways so another option and I don't even know if we should be bringing this up but it's you know worth mentioning um, because you know it, it is a viable option that could be appealing to some people out there definitely a little more complicated than the stuff that we just ran through but the world of structured investments um, and specifically in, in this particular scenario for money that we you know think we might need in the next handful of years um, market linked CDs and issuer protected or buffered notes uh, now to translate that to English what does that mean um, so we already talked about CDs. You know, CDs are a bank product, so they're FDIC insured. So you'll get your initial investment back, even if the bank, um, you know, goes out of business. And and the nice thing about these structured investments um, is they can be appealing to someone who sort of wants to invest in the stock market, but doesn't want to see their investment go down in value. Which is really all of us. We want to invest and see it go up, but we don't want to see it go down. Um, Unfortunately, in order to benefit from the long-term growth potential that the stock market has historically delivered, you have to be willing to endure some, some choppy years from time to time. Um, but for those of you who aren't willing to endure the, chop, the choppy years, you can still have like one foot in the stock market and one foot on dry land you know, if you're willing to sacrifice some upside potential in favor of downside protection. Um, so, you know, these structured investments, you know, there's a zillion different types, a zillion different flavors. Uh, this is just a small segment of them that we'll talk about today. But, uh, for example, you can link them 
to an underlying stock market index like the S&P 500, for example, but it has a floor and a ceiling. So you, you potentially could have higher returns than your typical bank savings account or even you know government bond or CD, but you also just might not get any growth out of it if the underlying market index goes down. So you know, let's walk through some scenarios and examples. We'll start with uh, a market-linked CD. And again, CD, FDIC insured, up to 250000 So you're all but you know, guaranteed to get your money back. Even if the bank goes out of business, the, the government's going to insure you up to $250,000. Uh, just your principal amount invested. So not the interest, but the principal you invest. So let's say, for example, you buy a two-year FDIC-insured CD with an S&P 500 index as the underlier that it's attached to. And it has a 12% ceiling. So at the end of two years... If the S&P 500 is higher than where it is today when you buy the CD, you get credited with the growth of the S&P 500 up to that 12% cap. If the S&P 500 goes down and is lower two years from now than when you bought the CD, you would just get your initial investment back. So, you know, Rochelle, you mentioned that, you know, earlier the one-year CD you were looking at was 4.5%, so if you're extrapolate that over two years, you know, 9%. Um, so this gives you a potential for more upside, 12% versus nine, but there's also a chance you just get your money back with no growth. So, you know, risk return, is that worth it to you? I don't know. Um, it may or may not be, but it's a way to, again, sort of participate in the market while still protecting your principal. Um, now, structured notes, different than CDs, CD, bank product, FDIC insured. A note is a debt product, uh, it's a bond, basically. So it's only, um, you know, it's subject to the credit risk of the issuing institution. You know, if it's issued by a bank, you know, it's subject to that bank's ability to repay their debt. So you'd really only want to buy them from a strong, uh, stable financial institution, a large bank, basically, with that's heavy with cash. And, and most big banks now are, are in pretty good financial shape. But just, again, that's the risk. If the bank defaults on their debt, you may not get your money back. Um, and that's any bond, you know, from any issuer. If they default on their debt, you may not get your full amount back. You might only get a portion, you might get zero. Um, so again, example, if, if we just kind of stick to similar numbers, we did a two-year CD, let's do a two-year note, linked to the S&P 500, floor of zero, you know, so it's issuer protected. Um, again, as long as the bank's in business, you'll get your money back, even if the S&P 500 goes down. But maybe instead of a 12% ceiling, the note has a 15% ceiling. Not FDIC insured, it's just bank protected. So you get a little bit more upside over that two-year span. Um, so again, could be appealing. You potentially could have more growth potential than your typical savings account or typical CD or typical government bond. Uh, but there, you know, there's a risk you just get the principal back or potentially less if the bank defaults. Um, and I mean, these things can be designed in a number of ways. Maybe you're willing to take on a little bit more risk in favor of, of a little bit more upside. So instead of having a hard 0% floor, maybe instead you, you get a note with a 30% downside buffer. And therefore it has an upside cap of maybe 25% on that two-year note linked to the S&P 500. So in this example, the maximum you could lose is 70%, you know, if the S&P 500 goes to zero because of that 30% buffer. 
Now, if the S&P 500 goes to zero, we got some bigger problems at hand, but mm -hmm. that's a, a different subject. So if the S&P, in this example, if the S&P 500, 30% buffer, goes down by less than 30% over the next two years, you know, maybe it's down 20%, you would just get your principal back. You have that 30% buffer, so you would get, you know, the initial investment back, no losses. Pretty cool. Um, now, if the S&P 500 is down more than 30% two years from now, say it's down 40%, um, with that 30% buffer, you would only have a 10% loss on your investment. So you would get 90% of your initial investment back instead of 60%, like the rest of America who invested in the S&P 500 in a normal index fund. Um, now on the upside, it's capped. We have that in this example, a 25% cap. So if the S&P 500 is up 20%, you would get, you know, the, the, the 20% interest. Um, so if you invested $10,000, you'd get 12,000 back. The S&P 500 is up 40% two years from now, you would only get 12,500 back, your initial 10,000 investment plus 25% because the cap is 25. So again, not for everyone, definitely more complicated, um, but it's kind of a way to protect your investment from the downside risk that the stock market offers while still participating somewhat in the upside of it. So for some people, again, they, they maybe don't want to dive headfirst into investing their money, but they, they like the idea of, of, you know, they got more cash than they need. Um, they like the idea of getting some potential for upside, but as long as they get their principal back, they're content. You know, you're not losing money. Um, you know, that, that for, some of your, for some of you, for a portion of your cash, that could be attractive, or maybe a portion of your invested assets too, you know, in your IRA or brokerage account or whatever. So does that make sense, Rochelle? <laughs> yeah. So I think it all makes sense. It's just one of those things where if it's something you're interested in, you really just have to go out and find more information about what this looks like, where you can get it, like all of that kind of stuff and, and try to choose a product that's right for you. And it really just depends on what your goals are, what your risk tolerance is, all of that kind of stuff. Um, I think the bottom line with all of this is just if you have extra money sitting around and you don't need it anytime soon, ideally we can put it towards some sort of long-term investing, retirement savings, things like that. And that just means, you know, well-diversified investments. But if you have extra money that you need just for short term, or if you have extra money that's set aside for emergencies, let's try to get it into something that's going to give you some sort of yield. And the product that you choose may depend a little bit, again, on your risk tolerance. If it is emergency reserves, probably just put it in one of those high interest savings accounts because it's liquid. And in that case, the liquidity is really important, just being able to get to it when you need it. But then there's all these other tools. You know, if you have a year or more where you know you're not going to need that money, there's lots of options out there. So I know I again, I have quite a few clients, I think, that are holding on to cash specifically because they want to buy a home and they just feel like it's not the right time because prices haven't come back a lot. They've come back a little bit and mortgage payments are a lot higher because interest rates are a lot higher and they just don't want to commit at this point to that or or they're just not financially ready to do that you know so they're saving money and some of them are saving quite a bit of money so i think this is definitely something worth exploring for for folks like that who are just sitting on a good chunk of money 
Yep, good problems to have when you have extra money lying around and trying to figure out what to do with it. I guess that's what it comes down to, really. You know, it's like, this is not intended to be like a stress-inducing episode. Like, oh no, I need to figure out what to do my, with my money. It's just, hey, here's a way where you can have your existing money earn you a little bit more on the side, you know, and just make it a little more efficient for you. There we go. Well, thanks for listening. See you next time. We would love to hear your feedback and suggestions for future topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in touch with the show by emailing podcast at thefinitygroup.com or by following Finity Group on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Finity Group LLC. You can follow me on Twitter at Corey Janoff CFP, Instagram at Corey Janoff, or on LinkedIn under my name, Corey Janoff. You can follow me on Twitter at Rochelle Finance or on Instagram, Vanderzanen Rochelle, or on LinkedIn under my name, Rochelle Vanderzanen. Check out all of the podcast episodes on thefinitygroup.com slash podcast, on our Finity Group YouTube channel, or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to check out our Financial Clarity blog at thefinitygroup.com slash blog. Thanks for listening to this episode of Financial Clarity for Doctors by Finity Group, LLC.